Good morning. Welcome to one more episode of the Shauna Nequist podcast. My guest today is the super charming, super talented, super fun, Amanda Sudano Ramirez. She is a friend of mine. We've traveled together and toured together, and she is one half of a band that I am crazy about, Johnny Swim. Um, they have uh, their first album is called Diamonds, and you'll hear me talk about how strongly I feel about that extraordinary album. And then their next album is called Georgia Capond, and it is equally extraordinary. Their live shows are bonkers, beautiful, and full of energy, and I, I cannot recommend their live shows enough. And so Amanda and Abner and their son Joaquin are, are people we love and people we're really thankful for. And so I wanted to talk today with Amanda about all things music and life and food and books and creativity, and you are just absolutely going to love getting to kind of soak up her life and vibrance and wisdom. Before that, I want to tell you about our first sponsor. Our first sponsor today is Third Love. So when it comes to bra shopping, every woman knows that it's all about finding the right fit for you. And there's only one lingerie brand that offers bras in sizes double A through G and half cup sizes, Third Love. Third Love uses thousands of real women's measurements and super smoothing memory foam to create bras that fit better and feel great. There's a perfect bra for everyone, and you can find yours in just seconds by answering a few simple questions from the Third Love Fit Finder. Here's the deal. You can try on one of their best-selling bras free for 30 days. All you do is pay $2.99 for shipping, and then you wear one of those bras as often as you want. Here, this is so crazy. You can cut the tag off. You can wash it. You can wear it for 30 days, and if it's not your very favorite, you can send it right back and return it or exchange it for free. So go to thirdlove.com slash Shauna to find your perfect fitting bra and try it for 30 days. Thirdlove.com slash Shauna to try your new favorite bra for free. So with me today, I am so excited to introduce you to my friend, Amanda Sudano Ramirez, also known as one half of the band that I am crazy about, uh, Johnny Swim. So Amanda, thank you so much for being with me. Goodness, it is my absolute pleasure. So um, you are, are you in LA right now? I'm in LA. I'm in a very hot upstairs bedroom with a fan over my head, enjoying <laughs> the sun. It is actually crazy hot in Chicago right now too. And we just had one of those like super came out of nowhere summer thunderstorms. Which, Ooh, yeah, I kind of love, love them. Those. I, me too. I love those. We don't get those here. Early. I know. Early. That's one of the things I miss. Whenever we're somewhere and there's a thunderstorm, I get really excited. Unless I'm on a stage, then it's less exciting. Have you had um, shows with thunderstorms? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And they kind of go one way or another. Sometimes they'll, they'll like, you know, if it's, if it's lightning, then they'll kind of cancel it or postpone it. But, but we've played a lot of shows where it's just pouring down rain and, and they're simultaneously, some of them are the best shows we've ever played. And some of them are our least favorite shows that we've ever played. Cause it's a mess. I feel like it's, that's like super like romantic and vibey. <laughs> and also I'm a little nervous for your health and safety. That's exactly, that's exactly the problem. <laughs> Good and bad. So are you guys traveling a lot right now? Are you doing a lot of shows? 
No, we're actually just doing a couple like weekends here or there, some festivals here and there. We kind of have the summer off, which is not something we're used to. Um, but then come September, we're basically gone until Thanksgiving. So we're, we're gone the entire fall. I, I'll see my bed, you know, maybe a handful of times and we'll be traveling the rest of the time. And is it a U.S. tour? It's both. We'll we actually start off in Europe. So we'll be uh, all over Europe for a couple of weeks and then and then we'll come back and then we'll be all over the States for a couple of weeks. Amazing. That's so fun. Uh, yeah, it's really exciting. It'll be the first time we leave our two year olds, um, which is uh, for, for that long. We've left them for a couple of days, but we'll be leaving for two weeks because we thought that flying overseas and doing nine shows in 10 days was probably a little too much for him. So so we're all we're already prepping him for the fact that we're leaving and it's like four months away. Oh, you know, I love, um, I love him. And I was just uh, looking at on your, you had an Insta, sto- Insta story with you guys doing a sword fight with him. And it was oh, just yeah. darling. Yeah, he's all boy. I'm, I'm figuring that out that he's happiest when like you're roughhousing. Isn't that amazing? It's like innately in there. I don't understand it. I'm like, shouldn't we, don't you want a color? And he's like, no, mommy. <laughs> well, you know, I, my boys are five and 10 and we were, especially like when they were really little, we were very committed to like, we did not want to be those parents that like forced boys to play football right. or forced girls to do ballet, yeah. like right. whatever you're passionate about, whatever interests you. Right. Let's and, go for that. And they just wanted to injure themselves and each other. And we were like, oh, this this is real. That's exactly how I felt. It's like, oh, that they're not joking. Totally. I remember when my husband would go out of town for a while, I would see, especially in our older son, like, oh, he just needs someone to like wrestle with. I would call my brother and be like, can you just come over and like let him knock you down 10 times, uh, please? Exactly. I thank God for our friends. We have a couple guy friends that are single and like free, you know, they work from home. And so I'm like, can you just come over and let him chase you or chase him for like an hour so I can get some stuff done? Uh, a friend of mine who had boys before I did said having boys is like having St. Bernard's. The only solution is to run them. That is exactly right. I agree. That is, and I can't imagine having more than one with one. I'm like, I should be in the best shape of my life. I don't understand how I'm not. <laughs> because all I'm doing is like lifting and running and chasing and rolling. And I agree. Totally. So I want to go all the way back. We'll, we'll talk about Johnny Swim. We'll talk about life now. And But before that, I want to talk about... and it, So you and I know each other because we were on uh, a tour together in the fall, which was so yeah. fun. So much fun. Um. But I would love to go all the way back and I'd love to hear about kind of how you started as yeah. a musician. I know that you grew up in a home of musicians, but that doesn't necessarily mean every child born into a musician's home will naturally be a musician. Right. When did a passion for or a a, a move toward music start in your life? So I had like a couple different pivotal moments. I think growing up, I always wanted, I always wanted to sing and act. That was my, you know, my thing. I wanted to be on Broadway or I wanted to do something where I could just like sing and perform. But the the tricky part was I was also incredibly shy, like to the point where my parents were like, you know, if you, if you want to do this for a living, you know, you have to like sing in front of us sometimes. And I was <laughs> like, nope, nope, not doing it. Like don't want to sing in front of anybody. And my sisters were the opposite. They were, they're both amazing singers, amazing performers. My, 
my sister Brooklyn's an actress and my sister Mimi has been a performer, you know, her whole life. And, and they were always like so gracious and like would just get up in front of any of my parents, friends or whoever and sing a song and just be like confident and great. And I was the opposite. So I had this kind of conflicting, you know, feeling inside of me. Like, I feel like I'm supposed to do this. Even from a young age, I, it was like, I, I knew I was supposed to do that. I knew that that was my path, but I had no idea how to get there because I was so nervous all the time. And I had no like sense of how I would ever get over those nerves. And it wasn't until probably high school where I remember I was traveling with my parents and we were, you know, traveling somewhere and I was in a car listening to music on my, I, I'm going to say iPod, but the iPods don't even exist anymore. They're just iPhones. I was going to try to not date myself, <laughs> whatever it was. I was listening to music and I just, I decided in myself, I love this too much to ever not do it. And if I ever decided to do something else and pursue something else full time, I would always feel like this was the thing that got away. I would, I would never be satisfied. So I, I made that decision at like 16, like I'm, I might fail and chances are I'm going to fail. But if I don't just keep going after it, I'm never really going to be happy. I'm always going to feel like I've missed out. And so I'm like, I'd rather say that I failed than, you know, than not try. And so I put a little girl group together with some of my friends and we'd get together and write songs and we'd play them at like coffee houses. And so I kind of started it a little bit, get over the nerves that way. And then um, after college, I moved to New York. I kind of call college my rebellion because you know, most parents are like, go to college, find a craft, do you know, find something you want to do, start your career. My parents were like, why are you going to college? Like you want to be in music. So like, why are we wasting this money? Don't go to college. And I was like, I've, all of my friends' parents are telling them to go to college and you're just telling me not to. And so that was my big rebellion. We all kind of joke that I was, I was super rebellious and I went to Vanderbilt and, <laughs> you know, got straight A's and, you know, graduated early and then I went to New York and I, I, I was kind of looking for, I was looking for, you know, a, a savior. I was looking for somebody that was going to spot me somewhere, hear me sing somewhere and just, you know, sign, give me a record deal right there. And somehow it was all going to just work out. And so I was there for a couple of years. I was working with different producers and I, I realized that I was super unhappy. I was, I felt like I was always kind of bending to everybody else's wishes and I would go home and write these songs that felt personal to me. And then they'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, what's really popular right now is this. So we're going to put you with this person and you're going to write a dance song. And I was like, but like, that doesn't feel right, you know, but I was doing it because it was what was in front of me, but I was kind of burnt out by it. And, uh, and that's about when I met Abner and everything else changed and all the, all the, all those pieces that I were, weren't sure how they were going to fit together suddenly fit together. How so? Tell me about that, though. What was it about Abner? What was it about your connection, the place that you were in your life? What were those pieces that came together? So I, you know, I was living in New York. I, I went home to Nashville, um, where my parents were living for Easter. And I had seen Abner before. I knew of him, but I didn't, you know, I didn't really know. I actually had a crush on him for years, but I'd never talked to him because he intimidated me, which is funny now because he's like the least intimidating person ever. But I was like, he's cute. He's with people that seem popular. I'm too much of a dork. I'm not, I don't want to talk to him. So, f you know, four years went by before we actually spoke. And I realized that he was, you know, incredibly kind and patient and 
a total sweetheart. And, and so he invited me out to a show in Nashville. So I was, you know, I was going to come back to Nashville a couple months later and he was like, Hey, when you're back, I think I have a show that time you should come, you should come out. So it was a tiny little place in Nashville called 12th and Porter. And he was opening for another artist. So he was just, you know, singing a couple songs, you know, just him and the guitar. And I think I just fell in love at like at that moment. And I, I remember turning to my friend that was with me and I said, I don't know whether I want to be him or marry him or write a record with him. Like, I don't know what to, I don't know what these feelings are, but I'm having all the feelings right now. And she was like, well, you better go talk to him. So I literally like, he tried to leave and like, go. he was like next door at like some other bar talking to somebody else. And I like bum rushed him and was like, please, can you write songs to me? Because they were honest and he felt honest. Like it wasn't like, there was no sense that he was just trying to write a hit song and just be successful all at once. And at that point I was so over that I was so over the idea of success in music being a hit record. And it doesn't matter whether you like the song or not, as long as other people like it and it gets a lot of plays on the radio, then, then you've won, you know? And I, at that point it's like, no, I don't, that's, that's not what I want, but I don't know. Nobody seems to understand that, that side of it. And as soon as I met Abner, he was like, no, I had the same thing. Like people were trying to, you know, I had a bad record deal and it was all this kind of drama happened. And I realized I just love music. I just want to write songs. I don't mind being broke. I don't mind working as a bus boy at a, at a restaurant so I can like write the songs I love. Like, you know, I'm young, I can figure it out. And that just completely resonated with me. So I immediately begged him to start writing. And I think he thought I was coming on to him, which maybe there was a little part <laughs> me that was but mostly I was like I would just love to sit down and write songs with you so so we just start, started writing songs and I think even apart from him his community of people were just amazing songwriters and you would just sit around and have fun and cook meals together and somebody would have a guitar and start playing something and you would just kind of start you know writing a song with somebody that felt right and felt like part of the conversation. And it was so different than what I, I felt so drained by what I was doing in New York. And suddenly I was in this place and with this person that kind of brought life back to what I I've always loved, you know? And, uh, and so I moved back. I was like, okay, I'm good. I'm moved back. I, I became a barista at Starbucks and he was a bus boy at PF Chang's and we would just write songs. And anytime there was an opportunity for a show, we'd play it. And uh, including opening for a band called Feces Eater in Toledo, Ohio, in the middle of winter. We drove all those hours up to open for a metal band, which don't even ask me how that like who set that up and why, but you know, those are the, the we kind of call those the good old days. Cause they were just so funny, like just packing in a car to play for like, you know, a band that I shouldn't be playing with or in the same room as, but, but we played all those shows and it was just, it was just all was right in the world. And it didn't matter. It didn't matter that we were broke and it didn't matter that, you know, we had no idea what was going to happen or how it was going to work out. It was like, finally the process became, just as good as anything I had dreamed about happening later, you know? Oh, I love that story. And I think any creative person can connect with so many of the things that you're talking about, kind of that that longing to to have the your, your inside self find its way out through your voice or through music or through writing or whatever, that, that sense of, I there's something in me um, and it doesn't have to be like everyone else's. And then very quickly, you learn that there is a whole business dedicated toward making a very specific set of things. And Absolutely. it's very tempting to submit yourself to that process. Absolutely. 
but you have to also be very patient and you have to also really love what you're doing. Cause if you don't really love what you're doing, then when you get to Toledo in the dead of winter and you find out that the band you're opening for is called feces eater, you will quit and go home and feel like you wasted your time, you know? But if you're having fun on the process of it and you actually really love what you do, then it makes all those things just be funny and I, kind of fun. I agree with that a thousand percent. I, um, uh, I, I think you can feel sometimes people who are making things or putting something out there and because they w- what they want is some measure of success or pl- publicity. Right. And, you know, um, I think Anne Lamott writes about it so beautifully, but kind of like that idea of if you weren't OK without it, you won't be OK with it. There, There's no if what you're in it for is a measure of success. It, there's no there and there. There's never right. enough that's going to fill you up. But if you love the craft of it. Right. If the actual daily doing of it mm-hmm. brings you life and health and healing, then you're on the right track. Absolutely. And that is exactly what we found when we found each other. It was like we, we, we kind of taught each other to love it again in that way. And it was probably because we liked being around each other, too. But I think with, you know, with Abner as well, like my growing up, going back to when I was a kid, you know, my sisters have these angelic voices. Like they sound like Disney princesses, which when you're a little girl, you want to sound like Ariel. And I did not sound like Ariel. I had like a raspy little voice that had like, no, I couldn't sing high. I couldn't really sing low. I had this little, this little kind of raspy voice that I didn't feel like there was any room for. And it wasn't until I met Abner that I found like that there is room for it. And there's like, there was a place for me. So it all worked out really well. I love, I love that story. You know, I've told you this, um, I'm sure along the tour backstage a million times, but I was trying to think of today who even gave me or, or recommended that I get diamonds. Yeah. Um, your first album. Yes. Or your first Mm -hmm. full length. Yeah. Um, and someone recommended to me and I love music, but okay. So my husband's a musician musician and he'll go through like, um, he'll listen to 20 albums in 20 days. And I'm not like that. Like, If if I connect with something, I wear it out. I'm the same way as you. (laughs) And it doesn't happen that often. Like there are things I'll listen to one time and be like, I experienced that. See you later. But (laughs) if it it connects with me, it's like a thing. And it's going to be the soundtrack for a whole season of my life. And to this day, if I listen to Diamonds, I picture where I was walking on the beach in South Haven, Michigan, over and over every morning Sand and the water and your voices and your words and the sound of your music kept me company during a very specific season of my life. And um, I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that you made such a beautiful thing and that, that you shared it with us and with me. That album moved me in such a profound way. And I'm sure you hear that from people all the time. I mean, I don't know, but every time it feels new, I've got tears in my eyes and I'm so thankful that it actually touched somebody. <laughs> Cause you know, I mean, you know how it is. You, you, you work on something and it is personal to you and you're, you're trying to do the best and you're trying to, you're trying to speak to what is in you to say, and you hope that somebody connects with it and it doesn't just feel like, you know, just words. And so it's, you know, very profound to me that you love because, because I love you and have loved you for so long that that makes me very happy and slightly embarrassed, but mostly happy. Uh, Well, and then, um, Georgia Capond. Mm-hmm. Your next album was, I'd love for you to explain it in your own words, but it was a, an album about grief and love and loss. Tell yeah. tell us, tell me about kind of the, the roots and the process of that album. Yeah. So, you know, and I think Diamonds and Georgia Ponder really 
kind of tied in a way because diamonds was this season of life. So we went through the season where my mom got diagnosed with stage four cancer, you know, a month later she's, you know, she's, or I guess maybe it was two months later. She's, you know, going through chemo. She's stable. They're like, okay, the prognosis is longer than four weeks. We're, you know, we're kind of okay. So we go home to see Abner's family. And while we're visiting Abner's family, his dad has a massive stroke and passes away a couple days later. And then a couple months later, you know, my mom passes away. So we went through the season where it just felt like, you know, you, couldn't get a break. You couldn't get your head above water enough to take a good deep breath. You know, it was one thing after another. And so diamonds, we kind of wrote in that season and in kind of the immediate season after that, where a lot of it was, you know, the song diamonds was like kind of speaking hope and strength to ourselves and, and kind of the sadness, you know, of how relationship change when, when you go through a loss, like there's, you know, certain people in our lives that the relationship just changed once my mom passed away. And, and we were kind of mourning that. And it was just, it was kind of its own thing. And and then Georgia Capon was like a couple steps down the road we were still dealing with the loss, but the legacy of what we were, you know, the legacy of our parents that we've lost and even the parents that, you know, are still on earth with us and the love that they had for each other and the love that we have for each other. Suddenly those things kind of came into perspective for us, I think a little bit more with Georgia Capon. So, so yeah, we, you know, and at that point we had a son, so it was kind of like, even highlighted that much more, um, you know, the, the families we grew up with, but yeah, it's, it's really is, you know, I think you said it perfectly. It's about loss and grief, but it's about love and legacy at the same time, which, you know, I think those three things generally, you know, go and go hand in hand quite often. Well, I, I think even knowing that, that, that makes sense to me. I think um, Diamonds has a, um, and it's always weird to me when people talk to me about things that I have made as though they know about them, yeah. but I'm going to just right. do that to you right now. Um, Please do. I, I apologize. Love um, I love it. But uh, Diamonds has a, like a, an, an, a, an energy that's almost like, almost aggressiveness. Like there's a, it's like, there's like a howl, there's a longing, there's an intensity and it feels very very right this second, very every cell in your body, very um, like a, a, a rubber band that's about stretched all the way till it's about to snap. Like there's it, it feels wound really tight. And I think that makes something so evocative and intense and beautiful. And it makes sense to me that that's something that you would write in the middle mm -hmm. of of these really tragic losses left and right, that, that right. you would be kind of buzzing and brimming over with that intensity. And it feels like it came out in that album. And then I think Georgia Capon does have such a, um, several steps down the road, thinking about the long-term thinking, look, reflecting back over that mm -hmm. season. Um, what do we know now? What do we hold with us? What have we released there? there it's, um, there's like an elegance and a depth that feels, they feel really different, but they definitely feel like they happen I, I yeah. can I can understand like like they're sisters or something. Right, exactly, exactly. It's like a wine opened at one season and then a wine opened a couple of years later, maybe the same thing, but like in a different in a different time and space and a different maturity, I guess. Absolutely. Um, so, what advice would you give you know to a young musician um, who's just starting out, who says this matters to me, but I don't know where to go. What, what practices, what ways of living, what skill sets, what, what advice would you give to a young, passionate musician who's just starting out their path? I think, and I kind of love this question too, because I don't know that I had 
I don't know that I had a good answer for this from somebody else when I was kind of like first starting and having no idea what I was doing with my life. Um, but the first thing I would say just on a practical level is do whatever is in front of you to do. If all you have is a guitar and garage band on your computer, then write some songs and put it on garage band. You know, um, if, if there's just open mic nights that you can do, then do open mic nights, mic nights, you know, whatever's at your hand, because it's really not, it's not up to you to, to develop the path for yourself, you know, the, and it's not up to somebody else to necessarily save you to, you, you know, you work for, you work for yourself, you become your biggest advocate, but also you just do what's in front of you to do. And don't, so, don't stress so much about where you want to be necessarily like have a goal in mind, but enjoy the process of what's in front of you to do. Just like we were, we were saying earlier, enjoy the, I think you said it way better. Um, oh, something about if you're not okay with the success or without the success, you won't be okay with it. Yes. And the, and the doing of it, the actual yeah. day-to-day doing of it, enjoy the day-to-day doing of it because at some point things will come together. I had no, I remember praying when I was, I was, I think I was 21 and I was, I would just sit there and pray every day. God, this feels like a mountain. I don't know how to climb. There is no path. I just see thickets. I just see like, I hear rumblings of tigers in the woods. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I don't know how to climb this mountain. I feel completely unprepared for this. Even though I grew up in a family of musicians, it just felt like there's just no roadmap. I don't know what to do. And all those things work together. And it wasn't really up up for me to like know exactly what, what the path was going to be for me. My the, What was up to me is pray about it and keep walking forward step by step. And it's okay for it to be step by step, you know, especially if you're enjoying the process. So I think, uh, I think do what's in front of you to do. And as you're doing it, enjoy doing it. Be able to realize that, you know, my mom said to me, a couple years ago, Adam and I were playing a show in this like tiny little, you know, maybe a hundred people. And my parents, you know, it was, it was outside of New York and my parents had been in New York. So they were like, well, we'll just come with you. We'll drive you. We'll rent a car. Instead of you guys taking a train there, we'll just drive you up. We'll spend the day together and we'll come to the show. And we were kind of embarrassed because we're like, well, mom, I mean, it's just like a hundred people. Like, I don't even really know who's going to be there. And like, I don't know what the, I don't, we don't even know what we're doing. Like maybe you guys stay here. We'll just go do it and come back. And she's like, no, you don't understand. These are the good old days. Like these are the days you're going to remember when you're, you know, schlepping to these little shows and you're playing for a couple people. Like you're going to love these days. I want to be there for that. And it kind of changed how we looked at a lot of those, uh, those little shows and the, the shows that, you know, we would call quote unquote bad shows, but they're great. You know, they're the memories. So, uh, so enjoy those because they do go by quickly and, and things always change. So well, and what a what a cool thing as a parent, right? It you know it would have been easy for someone who is as successful as she was to be like you know call me when you're in a sold out arena, right? Absolutely. <laughs> and why aren't you playing? Why are you guys not playing sold? Why are you playing these small places? Like skip ahead. And she was always like, no, 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 don't. It'll like good stuff is coming. I'm sure you guys are going to grow and get bigger. But these are wonderful days. What a meaningful perspective from her. Mm-hmm. I I love that. Um, Who are a couple of your key musical influences, either bands uh, or singers that you always go back to or albums that like this is the one that changed everything? What are a couple things that are kind of always in your head and in your heart? Yeah. So I think, I think Bob Dylan was huge for me because, um, like I said, my sisters all sounded like Disney princesses and, you know, would write these like very like kind of, I mean, perfect songs. Like they would just write these great songs. And I always felt like I was writing these kind of like, it was like a thought process kind of, and like my voice didn't sound that pretty necessarily, but like I felt it. And I just, I didn't know that there was a space for that. Like I thought that everything had to be like a perfectly packaged 
thing. And so I think listening to Bob Dylan made me go, Oh, this is so good. And it's not, it's not perfect. And it's kind of, that's what makes it beautiful. And because you know exactly where he's coming from, you feel like you're, you know, he's such a great storyteller and it doesn't matter that he's not like, doesn't have this, like, you know, all I can think of is boleros, which is like, you know, the Spanish singers that they like sing these, like, you know, almost operatic love songs. Like he, he didn't need to sound like that. He needed to sound exactly like him. And that's what, that's what he's supposed to sound like, you know? And so that was a big turning point for me to kind of, you know, I, I think it was a big turning point in self-acceptance, I think for me and, uh, an opening up of, of what I was capable of and, and allowing me to kind of be myself. Um, a, a record that we kind of go back to all the time at home that's playing all the time is a guy named Chili Gonzalez, who's a piano player. And he has a record called solo piano two. He's got a bunch of amazing, amazing records, but he has one called solo piano two. And it's, one of the one of the records that you know we play we've been playing for you know years and um it just be it, there's no there's no lyrics it's just piano it's just him i mean it's called solo piano so it's just him um but it's kind of one of the one of the records that always um ushers me into a creative state i think it makes me appreciate the moment that i'm in in a way that like actually lets me like soak in something to give back to somebody else if that makes sense like when you're on when you're on tour all the time it's you know i see it as we see touring and and performing as an act of service you know we want it to be something where where it's it's not just us you know trying to get praise and for people to think we're cool like we want it to be where we're giving something and so that 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 record's one that we steadily play because it feels like it gives to us and, and allows us to open up ourselves to be to be like given to i guess um, and I feel like if you listen to it, you'll know what I mean. If, especially there's a track on it called Keniston. It's the second track on it. And that song just makes me like appreciate life and appreciate what I have and open my eyes, which I love about it. Um, and then let me think Joni Mitchell, Tracy Chapman. I mean, there are so many people coming up, Otis Redding that I just loved. I mean, I love Adele now. We love, uh, Will Reagan has a great worship record now that we listen to. Like all, I'm like you, where I listen to one record on repeat for like ever, and then I'll kind of like slowly move on. But uh, Will Reagan's new record is the the newest thing that we've been listening to at home. sponsor for today is Dear Mushka. Dear Mushka is a handcrafted jewelry company seeking to create wearable and shareable truth. Every piece is crafted with a specific section of scripture in mind and comes paired with a cor- corresponding verse card meant to be kept by the wearer, kind of stored in her heart and thought about throughout her day. So for example, there might be a gold bar necklace paired with a section from Proverbs 3 as a reminder that when we trust in God, he makes our paths straight. The hope for this company is that each piece will not bring just beauty to the wearer's day, but also encouragement to her heart. They offer art prints, apparel, scripture packs, jewelry, and they're all meant to comfort hearts and share truth in a way that feels authentic, doable, and beautiful. Use code Shauna for 10% off your order. switch gears just a tiny bit over to the questions that I ask every guest. 
A. And the first one is this. What's one spiritual practice of any kind that's helping you or healing you in this season? I think um, I, I consider it a spiritual practice, and it's hiking. I've been going on these hikes in the morning. I'll go, go before the baby wakes up, before things start moving, and I will go up to, it's called Fryman Canyon, and I feel like I hear God, and I feel like it's almost like a shower for my soul. Like I feel like I get cleansed there. I feel like I get creative there. It's the perfect way to start my day. And it literally, I, I actually found out after all this kind of traveling, the couple years of you know having a baby and going immediately on the road that I did a little damage to my adrenal glands, which is like a whole other thing. But, um, so it, but it's actually been quite nice because the way to heal them is to kind of rest and not, not be like working out super hard and pushing yourself super hard. So I go on these hikes, and they're my way of like getting, getting fresh air and getting my blood pumping in a way that's actually healing to me. I get that. And you are not the first person on this podcast to name being outside or being connected to nature as their key spiritual practice right now. I think um, it's, it's easy to live indoors surrounded with things made by people, you know, mm-hmm. and it's real for me, it's really healing, especially in times of stress or grief or whatever to get outside and realize like, I didn't make any part of this and I'm not responsible for it. And I don't have to keep it alive. And God is going to grow this tree and, and grow these flowers and the sun's going to come up and it's going to go down. And I'm not a part of any of it. I love that. That's exactly right. So we're going to talk about books for a minute because I am a totally insatiable bookworm. What is your all time favorite book? That's a really hard one. I mean, I'm sure everybody on your podcast, I mean, maybe they automatically know, but I would assume it's like half and half. Like no, people it's that impossible. For sure and are like, how do I answer this question? The exactly. Other half? Uh, no, everyone says it's impossible. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, I think I'll go, uh, I'll say Brothers Kramatsov by Dostoevsky. Um, because I think it was, the, I think the first time I read it, it made so much sense to me. And it was kind of like the most in-depth book that I had read. You know, I think I was... I was probably in high school the first time I read it, but it, it, it spoke to me in so many different ways. Cause there's all these characters, you know, these, these kind of like alternate storylines and, and such different personas. And you're kind of following on along with all these people and these brothers. And it was kind of like a, it was one of those books that I was like, I will reread this all. Like I will love this book my whole life. And I still have my copy from high school because I'll go back and I'll reread it. And I have all these underlines from different, different parts and different chapters. And, and, uh, and it kind of just is the one that's consistent. And so I'm just going to go with that one. I like it. I would say that's one of my favorites. I love Dostoevsky. And I think, yeah, some of those Russian novels, when I read them, I think I read them at the, maybe the end of high school as well. And right. the complexity and the, the detail, like from a craft standpoint, yes. it just made me go like, Oh, oh, that's a total, when you say novel and then you say this, we're talking about a whole, like, like someone just opened a window that I didn't know you could open. I, exactly. I love, I love that's those. That's exactly how I felt. And I kind of still feel when I, when I pick it back up again. Absolutely. So what was your favorite book as a child? So are we talking about like, uh, like that our, my parents read to me or. It doesn't matter. Sc- doesn't matter because my parents, this is going to sound horrible. They didn't really read me books. Uh, they told me lots of stories. That was, that was our thing. Um, so I think the first book that 
that I like remember kind of reading with my mom, but I think I was, you know, I think I was, I don't even know if you would technically call me a child, but I, I, I guess I still was a child. I was probably like right, maybe fifth grade, but it was the Hobbit. I loved it. And I loved it mostly because my mom loved it so much. And she was so excited that we could read it together. It was like, Oh, you're old enough to love this. Okay. Let's read it together. And so it became kind of like a thing for us, which, which makes me really happy. So I would say the Hobbit. That's a great one. You and I are very much on the same page because my mom uh, read me that whole series as well. And I have great memories of that. Yeah, that's, that's it. Uh, what are two or three of the best books you've read in the last year? So I just finished reading the ocean at the end of the lane and I loved it. Oh, I, I haven't read that yet. Do you recommend yes, it? I, I fully recommend it. It's like, I mean, I'm trying, I don't want to give anything away. You know, it's a little bit of fantasy, but it's, it's just a story and it, it'll take you two seconds to read. It'll take you, you know, no time to read, but I closed it and just felt like it fed me, which is, you know, the best thing ever when it, it kind of like made me feel creative and it also made me feel nourished, which, um, which I just loved. And so, you know, Abner and I both like read it within a couple of days of each other and just kind of would look at each other and smile when we would talk about it. So definitely ocean at the end of the lane. I really loved that one. And then I was into this book for a while. I got into like reading like mystery novels, you know, and kind of suspense novels. So I read a couple of them and there was this one called I am Pilgrim and it took me no joke a year to read. I started reading it. I put it down. I would kind of keep reading it. I kind of was confused as to where the story was going. So I got kind of bored and I kept putting it down. And then finally one day I was like, I just need to pick this book up and finish it already. And it was like, I was a chapter away from like a big turning point that made the whole book be just next level awesome. And I fully enjoyed it. I was like sucked in. I hope my child ate food during those couple of days. I don't know for sure because <laughs> I was like only focused on reading. Um, and it's, you know, it's a big book, but you, you know, once you kind of, once it starts going, it's all the pieces come together in a really unique and fun, mysterious way. And so I'll say I am Pilgrim was my second, would be my second one that I've read this year that I really, really loved. Um, and then other than that, I read a really great book about potty training. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, I understand. That'd be my third one, yeah. <laughs> I get it. Is there a book that you reread? Are you a rereader? Well, you mentioned maybe uh, Dostoevsky. That's right. I, I think I think I, I don't often reread whole books. Like I'll I, I like every year I pick up Walking on Water and I read the first couple chapters, or you know I'll pick up. There's actually a really great parenting book called Bringing Up Baby. Mm -hmm. That's called, like part you know, research and part this girl's story. And I kind of read chapters of that all the time. It's like downloaded on my phone and I reread it. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. I, I think I reread that one every so often because I'm a big Harry Potter fan. Those are the ones normally though. I just kind of read the, you know, a couple chapters and then move on. Got it. Um, I love walking on water. That's a classic for me. And I really liked bringing up baby as well. Did you? Um, yeah. yeah, totally. Um, is there a book that you give away to everyone, like your go-to book gift? Um, do, cook do cookbooks count? Totally, yes. Okay, so Odalangi I probably have given to all of my friends, and I, I send people for holidays as well, my in-laws and whatnot. Uh, so definitely Odalangi, um, that's that cookbook. I love that uh, one. And then, you know, I've, I've given um, Stephen King's on writing to quite a few friends as well. That's another one that I pick up a lot, but I, to my friends that are writers or creative, creative people, I really loved how he did that book. Cause half of it is kind of his own story, you know, the history of how he started writing and how he, you know, 
got to to the place he is now. And then the second half is just practical things of like, this is how I write. This is what I do. This is how I edit. And so I felt like it was a really good balance of both. And so I give, I give that one to a lot of people. I agree. I think that's a classic. I think if you were going to, if you had a, a writer in your life, that would be top five right. books on writing. Absolutely. Right. Um, okay. So now let's talk about food, something you and yes. I are both very passionate I about. Love food very much. So let's say somehow magically, not in a dark or tragic way, you know uh-huh. that you know that it's your last supper and mm. you get to decide where will you be, who will who will be there and what will you eat? So it would absolutely be, um, well, obviously my husband and my, my immediate family members and all the, all the kiddos, we have a, we have a group, but we call it, we call ourselves the TLC, um, because we lived in a little apartment that was a triplex and it was all of kind of our friends. It was the place where we'd always meet and have dinners and worship together and pray together and have parties. And it was called the Toluca Lake compound. And so TLC Toluca Lake compound. So we have this group and they're kind of the, they're like our core people, you know, they're the people we call whenever there's an issue or we need help or, you know, we need prayer or whatever, something good happens. So the TLC would be there and immediate family would for sure be there. And I think I would do a Seder meal. I think I would do, I would want to have like the same thing that we do. You know, we, we do a Seder meal every year, then actually the day before Easter, we don't, it doesn't always align up with Jewish Passover, but but um, but we cook a seder chicken, which is like olives and prunes, uh, olive and prune roast chicken, and um, you know we have harisset and everything, and we we go through the seder meal, and we uh, and we talk about scripture, and we talk about Passover, and I'd want to do that. That would be my last one. We we drink a lot of wine and lean to the left, and and it's one of my favorite nights of the year, and I would want that to be the last thing. But I would add in some bone marrow because I'd also want some bone marrow. Oh, I love bone marrow, and I love that idea of a of a seder. I um we have some friends who invite us to their seder the last couple of years and it's been a really wonderful experience. You look forward to it every year. That makes sense to me. Um, so if I were to walk into your kitchen, mm-hmm. what are the five things that are always in your fridge or your pantry? Always, always. Uh, I mean, olive oil is uh, like I'm half Italian. Olive oil is always there. If I'm like even close to not having olive oil, I go out and restock immediately because I can't live without it. Um, I would say garbanzo beans are always there because they go into everything. You can spice them, you can crisp them, you can put them in a salad raw, you can make hummus. So garbanzo beans, and on that note, tahini would be another one. I like to, I like to always have it because it's easy to add, like make a sauce out of with some yogurt or make a salad dressing or just make a dip, you know, whatever it is. So tahini, I would say would be another one. Um, Almonds. Almonds, just because almonds, you know, right. almonds. Uh, and then probably the, let's see, other than my like mushroom protein powder that I put in my shakes. Mu- mushroom protein powder? I do a mushroom protein powder. It's, it's got, it's actually, you know, good for adrenal glands or whatever, but it has like all these um, cordyceps and different type of reishi mushrooms. And it's a protein powder with all these things that are super great, especially when you travel a lot, just rebalances and restores minerals and whatnot. So I do that. Does it taste mushroomy? No. Okay. Uh, no, it doesn't taste like anything to okay, me. Got it. It doesn't taste like anything, but, but I do, I, I, I notice a difference. If I've had a couple days with my shakes, then I, I feel great. And if I've gone a while without having them, I'm like, why do I feel tired? So I actually, that should probably be very much high on the list. 
Um, but then I would say miso. Like we always have miso in our fridge. It's always there. Got it. Got yeah, it. It's like the tahini. It's like you can, you can do a lot with it and it lasts in there for a long time. I can go on the road and come back and my tahini and my miso are still good. <laughs> the reality of tour life, right? What, uh, what are the things that I don't have to throw out before I leave? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. <laughs> um, what meal or flavor connects you to a happy memory? Uh, no question a roast chicken, a good, basic, crispy roast chicken. It was the, it was the meal that we always had whenever we were traveling as kids. When we travel with my mom, we would come home and our housekeeper, Rosa, who's like basically my second mother, she would make a roast chicken. It would be waiting for us. Didn't matter what time of night we would all just get around the table and eat roast chicken and rice and cranberry sauce like it was Thanksgiving. And so that is still the meal that I make as soon as when I'm leaving home, I make roast chicken. When we get home, I make a roast chicken actually like now have accumulated like a good solid 15 completely different types of roast chicken. But, uh, but the basic roast chicken is, uh, would just is always like the happiest memories for me. I love that. And I would say, okay, I, um, I feel like I have not yet perfected the roast chicken. I feel like I I've tried it. I've got a couple options that work, but I don't have like like my like magic silver bullet. What are oh. what are a couple things that I need to know that I might be doing wrong? So so a big thing with the roast chicken, one is getting it to room temperature before you throw it in the oven. So that helps, you know, that just helps it be nice and juicy and then really, really salt the inside. And I'll, what I'll do if I'm just doing a basic roast chicken, I'll leave it out till it's about room temperature, usually like 30 minutes. I'll put, a, a, you know, an onion, a half an onion, a half a lemon in the cavity with a bunch, a bunch of salt and then salt it on the outside, pepper, a little olive oil, a little pad of butter on top. And then I put it in at 425 and and just like let it roll. Uh, some people like will put it in higher, like 475, and then drop it down to 400, which you know works well for me too. But usually, I'll just put it in at 425 and just keep basting it. And it's simple and it's juicy. And then when it's 160 on the thermometer, you take it out, you let it rest for 20 minutes, and then devour. All right, thank you. I can do that. I think yeah. I, I have tried the like. Um, you know, like your, your oven has to be at like 525. I'm like, ah, I think my house might explode if yeah, I put my exactly. oven at 525. There's like one recipe that I have where, where I do it that way. It's a Thomas Keller recipe. And that's with the like, one. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the only one that I do it. And yeah. I'm, I honestly, I'm like, I don't know that I've like really noticed that much of a difference when I do it that way, but I want to trust Thomas Keller on it, but obviously it matters. So got it. That's so yeah. good. Thank you. Um, yeah. So speaking of that, what's your best recipe or the best thing that you make? So, okay. So I think I, I well, I think I'm actually known for the roast chickens. Like I, that, that's one where my friends kind of go, Oh, you're making a roast chicken. Can I come? I miss your roast chickens. Like, so that I think probably goes, but the one that I feel like has the most pizzazz. And then I feel like, Ooh, look at, look at me. Look at this that I made you is it's from, I don't know if it's actually, it might be Odalangi or the Jeru Jerusalem cookbook. One of the two. I mean, I guess both of them are Odalangi, but, um, but it is a honey cilantro, um, marinated lamb chop and you marinate it with like a bunch of cilantro and mint and honey and whatever the day before soy sauce, you put it in the day before you take it out right before you eat it, you know, sear it, you can throw it on the grill, sear it, throw it in the oven. And then you make out of the marinade, make us make it into a sauce. You know, you cook it down to make it a sauce and it just looks beautiful. And it always tastes like 
I know what I'm doing, like, hardcore, <laughs> you know, like, it looks gorgeous on a platter, and you can put, like, a couple, you really easy sides with it, and you can make, like, a little tahini yogurt sauce with it, and it just feels special, but it's actually really, really easy, and so I'm gonna go with that one. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Yeah, and it's it, good. I mean, you had me at honey and cilantro. That sounds yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's one thing that you'd love to learn to make? I think a tagine. I have this little tagine in my house and I love anything with preserved lemons. Like I'm a big nut with anything with preserved lemons. I love and My cousin makes them for me because, well, I guess that should be one thing. I would love to learn how to make preserved lemons properly. Um, and then I would make a tagine with it. Like with the little, I have the beautiful blue tagine and I've, I've never used it because I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, that sounds fun. I don't know how to do it either. And I don't have one, but I do secretly want one. And I love uh, Moroccan food or anything in, cooked in a tagine. That sounds delicious. Yeah. Just always feels like hearty and good. And it's like almost always has like some sort of dried fruit in it. So it's like this, you know, sweet and salty. Kind of those warm spices. Yep. I just love it. Like it's just, that sounds like the perfect meal to me. So I would love to learn how to do it. Okay. Let's work on that. That'll be our project. I would love that. The next time you guys come to town, I will figure out a tagine and we'll make it happen. I will bring the tagine. Okay. We'll figure it out together. That sounds perfect. So my last question for you, what's next for Johnny Swim? So this tour coming out coming up in the fall is going to be the next big big thing, um, and then and then a new record. So we've already just started the process of writing some new songs that we're really really excited about, and then we'll go on tour, kind of put those you know put those songs in the back burner for a split second, and uh, and then come back in January and just focus in on them. So it's going to be a really exciting end of the year. There's like you know lots of changes i think this tour is going to be this is like the biggest tour we've ever done you know the most people the kind of most money spent on everything and the production's bigger and the whole thing so it's a little bit nerve-wracking but it's mostly just fun you know we we luckily work with only people that we like so um so yeah so that's that's what's next which is really exciting and fun and we'll see wonderful well i'm thrilled to hear it amanda thank you so much for doing this it's absolutely my pleasure. So fun to catch up I'm with you. I'm incredibly honored that you would ask me to be be on it. And i am just been waiting to get back to Chicago so I can come eat with you. Anytime. My door is always open to you. Give my love to Abner and Joaquin. I will. I will. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Shauna Nyquist podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. And for more Relevant Podcast Network shows, check out the podcast section at relevantmagazine.com.